John 1, 1 through 5. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good. God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. John 1 again. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Revelation chapter 22, no longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign with him forever and ever. Amen, and you may be seated. Welcome to church this weekend. Yes, you may clap. Welcome to church this weekend. Hill Country is spending a few weeks looking at different elements in American Christmas culture. And how those different ingredients that we employ to celebrate Christmas are actually incredible ways to speak the truth of the gospel. And this weekend, we look at light. Now, for those of you in the dark rooms, you're like, please turn them back on. Don't worry, we got you. But last weekend, we introduced the concept that there are very few things in modern American culture that are great on-ramps for our world to see the truth of the scripture. Christmas is one of those rare times. Last week, we spoke about the fact that our culture loves to celebrate Christmas with trees, and that trees, actually, if you chart them across the scripture, tell the story of the gospel. Well, this weekend, we're going to take a look at light, and how our culture celebrates with light, and how, if you look at light across the scripture, it tells the story of the gospel. Light is one of the Beautiful ways that we celebrate Christmas. I looked up, this is my family's first Texas Christmas, so we looked up Austin Christmas lights. Yeah, there's a lot, y'all. I don't know if you know this. Um, You can sit in your car for hours and hours and spend it in a number of places. You can spend some money and walk a trail of lights downtown. You could spend some money and sit at a coffee shop down on the lake for the privilege of then buying some food to watch some lights float past. Uh, We will be driving to Georgetown, and I hear that they shut down their whole square for lights because lights are one of the ways that we decide, you know what? uh, Today it's true, a cold, dark Christmas time. Lights are one of the ways for us to celebrate joy. Um, You guys know that I've been talking to Big Game for a month about how much I like Christmas, Guys, I'm embarrassed, though. On my street, I'm, like, so mid-level. My lights on my home are very, very mediocre. Clark Griswold apparently owns five homes on my street. (laughs) And I love it. I love the, the positive peer pressure. It's reinforcing the fact that I'm going to get it. Dave Ramsey will not be pleased. 
but I will, I will be purchasing more lights next year because my home is like, mm, you kind of tried, but there are some homes on my block that try hard. Lights are just one of those things that our culture says, you know what? At Christmas time, we're going to explode with the joy of light. Well, we read to you guys from the book of Genesis, the gospel of John, and the book of Revelation to start our service because light is all across God's revealed truth to us as one of the ways that he communicates the gospel. And actually, it's kind of really fortunate for us this weekend because we're going to be able to stay just in one book of the Bible. We were all over the place last week. If you've got a paper Bible, you can open to the gospel of John If you click, tap your way to the Bible, you can flick your phone open and get to the Gospel of John. Fortunately for you, we're going to start right in chapter 1. John grabs the image of light and he employs it across his whole Gospel. There are actually more places in John that speak about Jesus as light than we'll make time for today. But there are three core concepts that as John talks about Jesus, as Jesus speaks about himself, and then in our last reference, as Jesus speaks about us, that there are some things that we've got to grab a hold of this Christmas season if we want to make the sort of difference that a church that's focused on saturating greater Austin with the love of Jesus needs to be focused on. Three really easy concepts this weekend. The first one is this, is that light wins. Now, I know that that concept sounds fuzzy and nebulous right now. Let's push you back to the beginning of John, though, the scripture that we started our time with. And thank you, Lauren, for reading to us. Love having our students involved. We're so proud of our students. John chapter 1, verse 4 and 5 says this. In him was life. That life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Okay, so there are a couple of Bible things that I want you to know about this right off the bat. Number one, uh, we started with the scripture that's going to anchor us for this weekend, but we thought it would be great to read actually three different scriptures. Because if you're paying attention, the structure of John chapter 1 sounds a lot like Genesis chapter 1, right? And again, I told you guys last weekend... I've got beliefs about things that are way past things I think. They're things I believe. They're core convictions. You cannot shake me from them. But I am aware that there are other people, possibly visiting our church, who don't believe the same things I believe. One of the things that skeptics doubt about my faith, our faith, is that there's a lot of fuzziness in the recording of Scripture, and there's time gaps that are jumped, and it's not really what you believe it is. Even if you don't believe the same level of depth of articulate clarity, what I believe about the scripture, no one would argue that the book of Genesis was written anywhere near the gospel of John. So far removed, geographically, historically, linguistically, they're so separate. And the insane unity of Genesis chapter 1 and John chapter 1 is so fun to read, and in it, you learn some things that John believes about Jesus. As he remembers the beginning of Genesis, as it speaks about, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and then God creates light, and light is separate from the darkness, and God endorses light with the term good. And if, if God says that it's good, then John's thinking back to the beginning of Genesis, and as he writes the beginning of his gospel, 
he says, you know what I want to do? Everything that I learned about Jesus, everything I watched about Jesus, and for John, it has changed. John is similar to me. There was a belief transaction that happened in him. Everything I believe about Jesus, I'm going to say that's what the scriptures were talking about in the beginning. That's where Jesus was. And Jesus was with God in the beginning because Jesus is God and Jesus is light. Now, it's fun to do this for a couple of reasons because the beginning of John's gospel is not really a Christmas story, is it? You get your Christmas story from the beginning of Matthew or the beginning of Luke. Because in those gospels, you see shepherds and stars and pregnant Mary on a donkey. It's that very prototypical Bible story of Christmas. Here's what's funny about Matthew and Luke. They didn't sit down to write a Christmas story, right? They sat down to write what they believed was true about the person of Jesus, And so they're writing all sorts of like tactile, detailed elements of what that first Christmas story was without the burden of needing it to sound Christmassy to you. John sat down to write the beginning of his gospel and the best thing he could think to write down is he's thinking to himself, holy cow, the way God started all time, that's what I saw in the person of Jesus. As I watched him teach and heal and move and forgive and confront and be, I just see the beginning of all time in him. And then the way John talks about him, ironically, John, the revelator, will go on to write the book of Revelation. And as John, that same guy that remembers the tree of life in Genesis chapter 2 and 3 And he drops the tree of life in what he sees in the future. Also in Revelation chapter 22, he's reaching all the way back across centuries of time. And he says, there's no more night. There's no more sun. There's no more light. Because God is with us. And he himself is the light. So as John sits down to write what he believes is true about Jesus, this imagery of light is core to who he is. But there's something else I want to talk with you about this weekend. Um, There's this interesting phrase. uh, In verse 5, it says, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. This is why I started with the phrase, light wins. As John writes about Jesus, he speaks of him in the beginning as advancing on, marching on, winning against. And I don't know, I, I, I've been so careful to use my sports analogies here in Texas, right? But Texas has had a lot of very competitive sports teams in the world of football and baseball doing really well. Let's not quabble about little differences because generally speaking, Texas is winning, okay? Let's all be happy together. It's Christmas time. Light can seem fuzzy and nebulous. Like when we speak about someone as being bright, we mean they're intelligent. When we say light at the end of the tunnel, we actually mean hope. So what does it actually mean that John, and eventually we'll see Jesus, speak about Jesus as light? That's metaphorical. It's like nebulous. It's fuzzy. Well, John employs language that gives a little bit more clarity. In verse 5, he says the darkness has not overcome it. 
Well, now that's a science concept, and I don't want to get too nerdy. I don't know much of anything, and so I like to learn a little bit about everything, and I kind of wanted to do a little bit of particle physics this weekend and talk about the fact that light is a wave and a particle, and, but that, that was boring, and so we're not going to do that. We're going to talk about this concept. Darkness has no definition aside from the fact that it's just the absence of light. You can't turn up or down darkness. You can't, you can't do anything with darkness except the fact that whenever light shows up, darkness loses. That's it. So when John uses the phrase, the darkness has not overcome it, he's employing this concept. Wow, anytime any light is present, light wins. Any, like, go to the deepest, darkest cave. Go out to West Texas. Go out. Oh, man, I wanted to, oh, no, I'm not going to do it. Go to the whole state of Oklahoma. Go anywhere. Um, <laughs> you pulled me into it. Go anywhere where it's, it's suffocatingly dark. And you just turn on your, the screen on your phone. And it's like, whoa, that's so bright. As soon as light is present, darkness loses. That's part of the idea John's advancing. When I was in Southern California, uh, I had lots of friends in law enforcement. I had a couple of friends on the SWAT team. I had a couple of friends who were SWAT commanders. And one time, one of them, who was a volunteer with us at church in the junior high department, don't you love that image? Um, he, we were talking, and he said, oh, yeah, you know, a couple, couple of weeks coming up, we're going to do a hostage um, rescue training and I started to ask some questions about it. You know, me being a youth pastor, I felt like I knew a lot about hostage situations. <laughs> and, uh, and I said, what does that look like? And he's talking it through. And I said, man, that sounds fun. And he's like, fun? And I'm like, yeah. Like, I take junior hires on mission trips. You rescue hostages. Son iguales, right? Like, no. And he said, do you want to volunteer? And I said, I would love to volunteer. And I don't know that I've made a worse decision in my life. We, a couple of friends, drove 45 minutes to a part of the city uh, where there was a four-story office building that was abandoned, not used, which is just what they needed because this four-story office building, they needed to practice in the dark. They needed the situation to be as bad as it gets so that they would be as good as they could get, right? That makes sense. And so we met around dusk to, to like do the briefing and then scatter. And that's when it hit me that when I showed up to an abandoned four-story building and the sun is going down and there's no electricity running to this and then 15 men in full SWAT gear get out of the hog, get out of their, their, their transport vehicle, I thought, I've made a huge mistake. <laughs> and we're sitting there and they're going over the training and my brain is spinning like, can I roll my ankle and get out of this? What can I do? They looked at us and they said, hey, here's the thing. We're going to put the four of you scattered around this building. Stairwells, under stairwells, in closets, in open rooms. Because our guys need to know what it's like to not know where you are. And they've got to find you. And they've got to rescue you. And it has to happen right now. And I thought, whew, okay. And so they scattered us through the building. And for one of the situations, I was in a closet at the end of a long room on the third floor with an off-duty officer. And the off-duty officer was nervous. And I thought, that's not a good sign. 
One of the last things they said as we went into the building to scatter is the training officer said, hey, hostages, this works best if you really act like you're scared because it gets us, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, I said, well, I'm going to kill that part. <laughs> so on the third floor, I hear them enter the building. Boom. Noise in a room. Silence. Clear. Silence. Shuffle, 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 shuffle. Boom, noise, silence, clear, silence, shuffle, boom. And when I tell you my heart was pounding, oh my gosh, thump, the thump, the thump, but I can see nothing. And then I will never forget the moment they burst into my room. All of the light that they flooded that room with, enough noise to take down an elephant. I mean, it was so overwhelming. And... When I tell you that, I'm just going to say it this way. They handled the situation, okay? That's the way I'm going to say it. In about three and a half seconds, I was rescued. And as I went to the ground, I was screaming, I'm not a bad guy. I'm not a bad guy. <laughs> After it was all done, and honestly, it's probably been 15 years, I'm overwhelmed still with this idea, the courage it takes, we don't like to step into situations that we're unsettled in. I mean, we argue about things on Facebook and we rarely step into any sort of a situation with the weight of responsibility on my shoulders to be a light in the darkness. I curse the darkness more than light it. And these individuals burst into the room knowing there was danger there and absolute confidence that when I throw my light into the situation, I'll have the upper hand. I'll be able to solve it. I'm there to rescue. When John says that Jesus is the life of men and the light has not... has the, When John says that Jesus bursts into your life, he knows the darkness that's in your heart. He knows the things that you struggle with. And he says, you're still who I want to rescue. You're Jesus' prize. You're the sum total of all his preparation and his advent. John says that light wins. Now, we need to keep moving. The second thing that the Bible teaches is that light illuminates. Light illuminates. As we move through the Gospel of John in the 8th chapter, we read this. John chapter 8, verse 12. Chapter 8, verse 12 says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. One of the things I'd like to point out this weekend is that as we dot our way across the Gospel of John, Pastor Jim did a lot of the preparation noticing how often John uses light. And last week, if you were in church, you got a very important update. If you were not in church, you missed it. Let me give it to you quickly. This fall, we've gone through a, a, an important transition. We moved from Pastor Tim... To Pastor Tim. It was tricky, but most of you got it, okay? And, and in that transition, there's been a lot of um, signaling and, and, you know, settling in and honoring. And you might have been thinking, hey, Pastor Jim's been out of the, the, the stage for a while, out of the pulpit for a minute. Along the while, Jim has had some health challenges that now have a name. And Jim has a very treatable form of cancer that he's beginning to battle this month. And so we wanted to give you guys an update so that you know, number one, we believe that God has got Jim and that Jim has got this and that 
Number two, Jim's going to be prioritizing his health and his recovery for the next couple of months. So as you're aware, it's not just the shift from Tim to Tim, but Jim is also pursuing his future, his strength, and his health. So we wanted you guys to be aware of that. And we're grateful and proud of the ministry that he has invested and continues to invest because he sent some notes in for this in his own preparation. John moves on in the eighth chapter, and he talks about Jesus being the light this way. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness. So if John chapter 1 is about light being victorious, advancing, moving into your world, and simply winning because light wins. That's what it does. Light also illuminates. And Jesus is now employing that metaphor, that concept, when he says, when you walk with me, you walk with light in your life. Now, if you're a believer, you're attaching meaning to this already. You're like, yeah, God gives me insight on what love is. God gives me insight on what ethics are. God gives me insight on what truth is. Because I fumbled my way through life, piecing together definitions. But man, when I come to God in church, in my small group, in prayer, in scripture, even in worship, God illuminates so many more things in my life that I have a divine perspective on. But if you've not walked with Jesus, or if you're a believer, but you're... In spectator Christianity, meaning you watch a church service as often as you can, but you don't walk with Jesus, you might not have a lot of illumination. And so this might just sound like a Christian-y idea, but like, tactically, what does this mean? Well, all young parents know exactly what this means, because when you first have your young baby, you just like, well, okay, well, it's a young baby. We're not going to get much sleep, but the baby's in the room with you. And at some point, you're just praying to Jesus. Jesus, either come back or make this baby sleep through the night <laughs> because I'd like to sleep again. Now, those of us who are advanced in age, we just embrace at this stage of parenting, I've given up on sleep, okay? It's just not going to happen for me. But there's this phase where like somewhere between your kids are three months old and a year and a half, you move them to their own room where they can sleep badly across your house. <laughs> and some nights, you stumble your way through your house, and you get to your child, and you take care of whatever it is that they need, and then you stumble your way back, and you've stepped on enough little kid things in your house that, that you change the way. It's like squished up Cheerios, that's weird to step on at 1.30 in the morning in the dark. It's just, it's very unsettling, okay? If you step on a dog toy and it squeaks, I'm telling you, at 1.30 in the morning, it is terrifying. And I'm sorry to bring this up in church, but when your kids are three, four, five, and six, there is one Lego that they did not put away. I know, I know. And if you have ever stepped on a Lego in the middle of the night, there is very few things. The Scoville meter of spiciness of that level of pain, it is. And here's, the, here's my point. Sometime as a young parent, you decide... We can never let this house go fully dark again. 
Because tactically speaking, I'm going to need a little bit of light no matter what because I need to see what's going on between my bedroom and theirs. And so you start to leave the microwave light on at night, right? Christmas is perfect. You just leave the tree lights on all night. Whatever you've chosen to do because you need to get from where you are to your small child across a dark house, you decided, no more dark house. I'm done with that. I would like to see where things are going. Jesus, especially in the Gospel of John, says that whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now, Matthew handles that differently. Matthew just says a lot of the things that Jesus teaches. So Matthew has the same conviction. Luke has the same conviction as he watches Jesus do a lot of healing. Mark has the same concept as he records Jesus performing a lot of miracles. So all of the Gospels in their own way record this truth. But the truth is this, is that the Bible says this. When you walk with Jesus, you've got a shot for your life to be more illuminated, to have more light in it so that you can see things more clearly. And I know that for those of us who maybe are spiritually young and have not yielded a lot to him, that might not make a lot of sense. But for those of us who've walked with him for a while, man, even the news, the, the heavy news of what Pastor Jim is walking through, even... In, even diagnosis is like that. You see differently with years of walking with Jesus. Oh, interesting. Jim has asked that one of the things we do is we pray for his witness in those medical environments. As they're working to solve him from the natural world, he wants them to know that there's a supernatural presence as well. Like, who the heck thinks of cancer as an opportunity? Someone who's been walking with Jesus for a long time and sees that he's present in it as well. C.S. Lewis says this, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but by it I see everything else. Jesus is not messing with you or taunting with you when he says that when you walk with him, he illuminates your life. And if all you do is watch a church service, that idea might seem distant. But let's keep moving. Let's move to our third concept this weekend. Even more specifically, maybe less general than light illuminates, light leads. The passage here is the most pressing, the most articulate, the most followable of all our passages this weekend. In John chapter 12, verses 35 and 6, it says this. So Jesus said to them, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light lest the darkness overtake you. Wait a second. I, I thought that darkness doesn't win. You can't turn up darkness. That light. I'm glad you're asking those questions. Give us a minute. The one who walks in darkness does not know where he's going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. So there's three easy concepts here, and we're going to unpack them uno, dos, tres. One, Jesus is moving towards the cross, the resurrection, and then what we call in Christendom, the ascension. So in a season where we speak about his advent and arrival, John speaks about it through the lens of light. And then in chapter 12, Jesus is speaking about his departure. Now in light of that departure, he's telling them this. Listen, 
walk with me. Because if you don't walk with me when I'm physically gone, you won't be able to rest on the fact that you liked watching miracles. You liked when I confronted hypocrisy. You liked that I taught differently than other people teach. Because there's a spectatorship happening in first century Israel that happens in 21st century American megachurch. That we start to think about like, oh, I like these types of songs, or I like this author, or I like that podcast. And there's this delusion that Jesus speaks about that if you're not walking with him, there's more darkness in your life than you'd like to admit. And, and I talk about it as like, it's like, ooh, I like to have um, podcast authors, speakers in my life that are very precise because I'm a correct person. A Christian ethic is insufficient to carry you through life. Jesus is sufficient. And a Christian ethic actually is a product of walking with Jesus. So you get both. You get light that is leading your life specifically, and you become the right sort of a person. But if all you do is you want the ethics of it, you want the precision of it, then you're probably a 21st century Pharisee. Um, there are people that like conviction. Ooh, I like it when they say it how it is. And I like the preachers that yell about it. And you listen to podcasts or follow blogs where they're that. That's transferred conviction. It's, it's almost like junk food conviction. That if I can see conviction in someone else and I like that someone else, maybe I've got conviction as well. Jesus says walking with him is the demonstration of conviction. It's yielding those parts of your life that he wants yielding. It's picking up those areas of your life he wants you to pick up. It's advancing him where he wants to go. And Jesus is clear that if you don't walk with him, you like the accoutrements, you like the fringe, you like the outside part of this, you should expect that your life will have some darkness. Let me explain it this way. Um, in Texas, I'm learning about the big cities, right? Dallas, and then us, and then San Antonio, and Houston. Probably if you're driving in the heart of any of those cities, you could theoretically, I don't recommend it, but you could theoretically probably turn off your headlights and still be fine at night. Until you get out to, like, the country. Let's say you're in West Texas. And you're out in West Texas, and you're just so frustrated, you're like, these... These stinking headlights, they're so controlling and precise and demanding. I just, I don't want to go wherever they are. I want to go wherever my heart wants me to go. And you're like, I'm going to turn them off. And you turn off your headlights, and all of a sudden you feel the depth of darkness. And those headlights are like, whoo, man, the weight of my truck, the weight of my minivan, the weight of this car is moving along at such a speed. I don't think I want to do this without them. And you turn them right back on. I just want to speak a word because it's just true in American Christian culture and it's absolutely possible in American megachurch Christian culture that if you just keep watching other people have a walk with Jesus, man, Jesus says to be careful because there's probably more darkness on seasons in your life and he just wants to turn the light on everything in your life. Not that you're a fan of someone else's faith, but that you possess it yourself. It's why we encourage you to take your next step it's why we want everyone to become a disciple of Jesus. Because a weekend service is an encouragement, it's a clarifier, it's not conviction. And conviction yields to a radically different thing. That's okay, he speaks about that too here. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. The last thing we'll focus on in our time this weekend is this. 
Christian, I feel it. The world has lost its ever-loving mind. All of it. <laughs> all the news, all the movies, all your friends, hide your wife, hide your kids, all of it, right? Like, and then here's what can happen. We can teach about these things, and I can see these phrases. Well, wait a second. Light really is victorious in Scripture, Tim, because the darkness has not overcome it. Therefore, God is victorious, Tim. Man, whoever walks in light, light does illuminate. And therefore, Jesus is illumination. But Tim, I feel so insufficient in this culture. I don't feel victorious. I don't feel like I illuminate. I don't feel like I lead people's lives. Therefore, somewhere the enemy starts to speak this to us. Maybe I'm not as committed to Jesus as I think I am. Or maybe Jesus isn't as committed to me as I hope he is. And so let me tell you this, believer, you are more of a victory in this world than you give yourself credit for. The way you live your life in front of them, the way you pray for, the way you bless, the way you invest in your unbelieving world, I promise you matters more than the news cycle. The way that you walk through life with a confidence and a clarity and like yielding and responding to difficulty or confusion or marriage or parenting or finances or politics, you're more illuminating than you feel like you are. I promise you they're watching you closely and I promise you it's a good thing. When I was 22-ish years old, we were freshly married, maybe I was 21 um, we were freshly married, and we were going to visit my wife's grandparents because I had a friend who was going to play in a college bowl game in Boise, Idaho. That bowl game was on December 31st, and I had only ever spent December 31st in San Diego. Apparently, not everywhere feels the same way on December 31st as San Diego does. As a matter of fact, we drove from San Diego to Boise in one long shot. And it was nighttime by the time we got to the top of Utah. And at the top of Utah on January 31st, 1999, Prince sang about it. It started to snow. And it was nighttime in the snow before smartphones, before your Garmin, before I could phone a friend. And I had to now act like a conquering hero in front of my new bride and say, I can drive at night in a blizzard in a state I've never been in with no GPS, and I, I almost Pentecostally inside was praying that Jesus would come back right now. <laughs> I was so intimidated, so overwhelmed by what I had to do. But what was I going to do? Stop? I just had to keep moving through life. And so I got behind a semi-truck, and when I tell you I was right behind a semi-truck, I, I, I was right behind a semi-truck. But that semi-truck had two glowing taillights. And even in the night, and even in the snow, I could see that. I didn't see any signs. I didn't see any off-ramps. If that truck was going to Canada, oh, Canada, we're all going. <laughs> and that truck literally led me through the storm. Christian, when you walk with Jesus... They can see it dimly, and, and, and there's not the clarity that you've got, but can I please encourage you? You're a light in this world. 
And when you treat Jesus as a victor, and when you treat Jesus as illumination, and then he says to you here, let me lead your life. Because as I do, you become sons of light. Pastor Tim said it to us in his last sermon that was kind of the second to the last, but he said, the Bible doesn't ask you to think about being light. The Bible doesn't say, hey, can you be lightier? The Bible says, you are light, and you're sufficient for your world. If you think you've got to beat the airwaves and the social media feed and the news cycle, you're going to be discouraged. That's all the snowstorm and the night. That's winter. Christian, your Christmas for your world. And so take heart. Invest in them. Pray for them. Bless them. And here's what we're going to do as we close today. As we close in prayer, can you pray for that one person that you know God's been putting on your heart? They've got to get here. And not to hill country. They've got to get to Jesus. And could you pray, God, I pray that you would give me an opportunity this week to invite them to be in this place to hear this good news so that your light invades their darkness as well. Let's pray. Father, I feel the weight of the darkness. God, this world has changed so much, so fast. Lord, I need to step into these environments and look hard at the detailed truth of Scripture, and I've got to decide, do I believe it? Or are these old ideas and are these myths and legends? And God, I want to keep pulling myself and saying, I believe that you're light. And I believe that you are the life of men. And so God, I pray that you would put on each of our hearts right now someone that we know you've been wanting to get to. Lord, someone you know that you want to bring your light to. And Lord God, we dedicate these individuals to you Lord, we pray for them that they would find a home here this Christmas. And Jesus, I pray that really all of these things, whether it's this moment today or it's watching you step into someone else's life, Lord, help us to be preoccupied with your sufficiency, your life, and your light in our lives. Jesus, you are good, and we want to follow you as such. And everyone said, amen.